This is a homebrew podcast. Previously on the homebrew. I uh, take a look at Zalduin and I look at the other little guy there and I say, you must be our uh, contact then, huh? I told you, he's real. Look at that shirt. I mean, look at that nice space loot jacket. It's totally authentic. Our adventure begins, as most do, at a pub on Prosperity Bay. Nivitz Pozu, an eccentric researcher, has brought Zaldwin to Carl, who's the host of Galaxy to Galaxy Radio. Carl's accompanied by his pit fighter bodyguard, Oliver Heavy Arms, part man, part machine. Zaldwin is of interest to Carl because he claims to be a denizen of the Lost Ark, the Oasis. Before Carl can get any new information on the missing Ark, Brother Maynard of the church stumbles into the pub looking for, you guessed it, some adventures to help him on a quest. Jaden Seatel, a young cleric and nephew of a famous vid evangelist, has gone missing while under Maynard's care. Yeah, he's probably dead. Please don't say, please don't say, he starts like hyperventilating, so please don't say that. Well, you never know, Oliver. Be more optimistic. He might still be out there somewhere. Right. If he is dead, you can just bury him and grow a tree out of him. Oh, God. The crew discovered that Jaden had shown an interest in a lost ruin in the ship graveyard, so they went down to the docks to get a skiff so that they could set sail across the sands. What they found was a cloaked shipwreck that still appeared to have some signs of life. As they approached, they were attacked by strange wolves. Part of it on its like left side has been constructed with like bone and flesh and there are like human teeth in the left side of its jaw and there's like a human hand as its right paw and it's just this terrifying cyborg wolf that's part automation yeah part biological and part metal and it jumps towards you past the wreck and under the cloaking field they found a much more recent shipwreck and who they believe to be Jaden trying to get their attention from a porthole. However, a robotic elven beastmaster and more wolves stood between them and the shipwreck. Negotiations were unsuccessful, and Zaldron resorted to a charm person spell. His head cocks, and he puts it puts his bow down, and he just says, Oh, are you have you come back for me? Uh are you? <laughs> yes, we what, came what, back what for him. He asked if we came back oh. for him. Uh we're we're friendly. The crew left the charmed robotic beastmaster and entered into the shipwreck, which they found to be named the Lathander. Unfortunately, on the way, they found the chopped up remains of Jaden's friends. Uh, is Jaden in there? Yes, yes, I'm Jaden. Are my friends out there? Did you guys see anyone else? <laughs> Jaden, you gotta listen to my voice. You gotta stay calm, okay? Okay. Can't have you falling apart on me, all right? Why would I fall apart? <laughs> what does that mean? Shut up and listen. Okay. <laughs> I need you to concentrate. Jaden revealed he had indeed found the lost ruin, and it was under the shipwreck. He convinced the crew to let him stay, and they delved into the ruin. After solving some puzzles, they came to the end and interacted with a strange stone console that appeared to be lost architecture. The blue light sucks back into this globe, and it expands, and you see what looks to be a star map. The consul was telling them to go to the dead planet Terra next. But before they had an opportunity to discuss anything, they were attacked. Anyone that looks would see a ghostly figure apparate in front of the pile of rubble as if it is coming out of it. What the hell? 
it screams. The silence is just broken in such a massive way. Just, this is not your path. After the crew defeated the guardian of this tomb, a less terrifying version appeared and spoke with the crew. They found that they had stumbled into someone else's path on the road to something called the Convergence. Do you seek the Convergence? I do now. The crew found that the Guardian was actually a former adventurer who had died here and was now cursed to defend this place. They found her body, and on it was a photograph of her, a flesh and blood version of the mechanical Beastmaster that they faced on their way into the ruin, and several other people, including Jaden's father. As the crew traveled back across the ship graveyard, they returned to Prosperity Bay to find it sieged by a massive Ender ship. Enders commit ritualistic suicide at the age of 30, and the goal is to take as much life and property with you as you possibly can. Hello, fine people of Prosperity Bay. My name is Captain Solomon, and tomorrow is my 30th birthday. The crew fought through the streets of Prosperity Bay, up until they found the Captain Solomon himself, who had a dirty Terran weapon, nuclear bomb, and he was prepared to set it off in celebration of his 30th birthday. A series of terrible rolls. I want you to, Cody, look at me through the screen here. You need to role play this like you believe you can defuse this. I've totally seen this before in a movie. Nivets, roll insight. Oh boy. I know exactly what I'm doing. It's the red wire. Nivets, you believe that he can defuse this. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And a nearly dead Oliver who was attempting to protect the crew. Make a death saving throw, Oliver. Jesus Christ. Oh, no. That's two fails. It's an instant two fails. It means if I fail again, I'm dead. Left the boy genius Carl as the crew's only hope of surviving this encounter. I you need to roll a 19 or higher with your tinker's tools on one of these rolls to defuse this bomb. Your total has to be 19. Oh! Advantage, 24. What the fuck? I told you, it's the red wire. What'd I say? Oh my god. It's not the green one, just like Zaldwin said. Of course it's not the green one. They try that in Space Abominations 5, and that doesn't work. The crew took Captain Solomon alive and intended to turn in his bounty. But first, they needed a ship. They took to the ship graveyard. So you turn it on. First, what should we call her? Oh, I hadn't even thought. I of mean, that. just saying, all good ships need a name. Uh, Zaldwin is going to write Hawk on the wall. Oh my god! Bad name. That's Fitting. touching. Hawk I, I can concur. The ship was christened with the name of a companion that they'd lost on Prosperity Bay. They took to the sky and set off to Old Honest Jim's used spaceship Emporium to turn in the bounty on Captain Solomon. However, on the eve of his 30th birthday, something more sinister took his place. And you, Zeldwin, don't you want to defend your home? I don't think Zeldwin says anything. Just stares. I have strength for anyone willing to take it. Yeah, but you got a butt in there somewhere, I bet. I do have a butt. Oh, 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 sorry. <laughs> I thought you were talking about my cheeks. I have exquisite. I have the fattest cheeks. <laughs> the thickest. Extremely thick. Oh, wow. uh, There's no but. I, I can give you power, and we can make an arrangement. Obviously, nothing's free. 
the crew turned in the bounty on Captain Solomon and used the money to purchase weapons for their ship, the Hawk. So show us what you got in the 10k weapons range. Holy shit, you can buy a whole spaceship for that much. And fully armed, the Hawk set off for the Ark, the Sojourn, which cryogenically froze its passengers in preparation for the encroaching darkness. However, when they arrived, they found out there was something much more sinister at play. Now, hold on a second. What? Back up a sec. Did you say murder? Yeah. I did. Well, I just didn't want to glance over that part of this arrangement she's proposing. Turns out the sojourn was, for the most part, a death trap, and those frozen had very little chance of ever awakening again. The crew took the investigation all the way to the top to the CEO, Vanwell Moonshade. As I said, name your price. Hey, uh, how many people died on this ship again? Ballpark. Ballpark? Couple million rats? He just looks at you with steely eyes. Roll. Does it matter? One million, two million. What do you do? You do you think it 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 matters? Do you think I mean, the how much you think the suns are going to just magically turn back on in a few thousand years, and we'll just unthaw everyone, and we'll just all be happy. Everything will be back to normal. Is that what you think? I mean, that's what you sold those folks, right? I sold them hope. Carl was recording and broadcasting the whole thing through Hermes. Millions of people were tuned in, and Vanwell Moonshade took the coward's route out. Oh, God, he's going to blow his brains out. Oliver, stop him. Um, How many feet are between me and him? I'll give you a deck save. Uh, you got to tell me if you're going for it. I'm going for him. Yeah. I'm going to try and decide right. to go for it. I zoom in right on his head. I mean, you've got to... You're disgusting. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> The crew retrieved Jaden's father's belongings from his mother who had been frozen on the sojourn. Inside of it was a locket, and inside of the locket was the first waypoint, the Tomb of Absurdism. And inside, they were challenged on why. Why did they do what they did? The ability to choose your own fate. Die how you want to die. Live how you want to live. So you all die how you want to die? Yeah. I mean, some of us. Some people are scared. But you all live how you want to live? Yeah. Some of us. Well, that's why we ended up here. We do. I do. And then is when we switched to our second crew. Mordecai and Adia, twin soul apostates. Space pirate Grundle! Mr. Goy, the butcher of all things. Tavian, turncoat sniper. These convicts were dispatched to solve a conflict on the magical zoo planet of Pagara. Coincidentally, this was also the waypoint that was described in Jaden's journals as the second waypoint. A familiar voice had taken a hyper-evolved version of the first fish on the planet Pagara. They were at war with the first frogs. Is this not enough? Sacrifice. Blood runs freely. Is this not enough despair? And his eyes roll back into his head and he goes limp. And then he spasms and his eyes fly back open, but they've turned completely black and he speaks again. Yes, that will do. And Erdo's spear erupts with purple flame and the whole spear just burns away. And Gerdo's just hurled back into a tree. In order to end the conflict on Pagara, the crew is able to take down the first fish, Lucifer. However, it is not without a great cost. You push him away, and 
my goodness. You push him away and then this pillar of light comes down from the ground. And I mean, it burns you, Mordecai. I mean, you're so close to this. You feel, you feel like you're going to die. It's so hot. You think for a moment, this is it. This is my judgment. I, I earned this. You see through the bright light and you see Tevian slowly fading away. You see feathers floating into the dust to the east. And Lucifer's eyes, blackened, throw up a purple barrier around him. And he endures the bright light for a moment. He endures. He endures. It burns. It burns. You're locked. Just eyeballs with this person. This black eyeballs. You hear Adia screaming. It's intense. You feel the smells, the sounds, the screaming. Everything is just too much. And then you see the blackness fade from him. And Lucifer's hurled out of this space. They remember their friend, Billy Boom, who was a victim of the wild magic surges on Pagara. Oh, blimey. You telling me you still don't remember me? Who's this guy? Crew 2 battled their way through the Tomb of Determinism, unaware of what they'd stumbled upon. And at the end, they were greeted with a strange being. A space shrimp worm of some sorts? Well, it is good to see outside the confines of my prison again. I'm impressed you made it this far, truth be told. Please tell me a talking space worm isn't the treasure at the end of this. The strange being convinces the party to allow him to inhabit Sal, their guide. He then teleports them to a strange ship and takes charge of the ship, allowing them to escape on an escape pod. As they float away, they see the words, The Oasis, on the side of the ship. Billy Boom, Mordecai, Grundle, Mr. Guy, you float in this escape pod eating good berries for seven years. Did I ever tell you about the time we fought that dragon? <laughs> <laughs> no, Grundle. You never told us this story. Oh, go, on, the, go on. It was like seven years ago now. <laughs> and you think you're seeing things when one of you catches a glimpse of a ship outside. You're sure you're hallucinating, but it gets closer and it gets closer. And it looks like a big kind of duct taped together General Knott's ship. And on the side of the ship, it says the Hawk in big stencils. And it docks with the escape pod. And with that, the two crews were united. Look, if you're heading that way, we want to head that way. We're all kind of on the same little mission here. Not trying to intrude or anything, but we can pull our weight. No, no, that's kind of where I was going. Um, You know, it didn't seem like you had much else going on. thought maybe this seemed like a good opportunity to hire on some extra hands. Aye, we're always for hire, I think. No one's hired us yet. If you look at the gap in my resume, the seven years were when I was lost in space. Yes. The convicts shared their story of the Pagara Waypoint and their experience on the path. It was not long before they realized they were linked. You see this blue, it almost looks like a string, and it seems to be connecting um, the two of uh, your alter ego here. So Grundle, you would see this kind of string coming out of you, and it seems like it is connecting to Carl. On their way to the next waypoint on the dead planet Terra, 
the Pope announced not only his retirement, but that his recommendation for the next Pope would be chosen by a universe-wide vote. Cardinal Jean-Paul, Jaden's uncle and famous vid evangelist, revealed a giant mechanical sun he claimed would eventually be able to solve the darkness. But it was identical to Nivitz's design. Those rat fucking bastards stole my designs! What the fuck? What's Nivitz on? I don't this! This is some bullshit! In that same video, they recognized a goblin with Jean-Paul, who was also one of Jaden's father's traveling companions. When they finally arrived on the dead planet Terra, they met a new friend, the Warforged Artificer Max, who seemed to have no idea where he was, and asked to come along with them for his protection. Of him. I don't, I don't know who that guy is you ran up to, because I'm back behind you. Oh, wait, who is that? I don't know who that is. You just ran up to a stranger. It's dark and it's foggy, and Mordecai thought it was Billy Boom, uh, and you switch places with this character, this outline in the fog. Wait, who the fuck are you? <laughs> fuck you. Fuck. Move. Let go of me. They use their newfound discovery of the blue anti-essence to track the ruin's potential location to a small town, Belleville. Its denizens, however, refuse to talk about a strange mansion nearby. Do you happen to know what that building is over there? I mean, points to the, the pristine mansion nope. in the distance. Nope. 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 Never heard nope. of it. That, that, that building there, you, you, you don't know what it is. Nope. Never seen it before in my life. I don't know what you're referring to. Huh. Once inside the mansion, the mansion's lord allowed them to seek out the ruins within the tunnels beneath the mansion, provided they didn't touch anything. You don't think it's as simple as, like, those old monster movies, do you? I mean, you don't think he's, like, a straight-up V-word, like... Vagina? Count Dracula? Dracula. No, I'm talking about vampires. He, he's not a vegan. He makes Bellabite. Oh, wait, wait. You mean, like, that Hume, uh... Yeah, the... they're cryptids. They're, like, Sucked uh... out the blood of... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I know I talk a lot about Bigfoot, guys, but vampires, I'm pretty sure they're real. Despite the agreement, the crew could not abide the horrors they found below. An attacked vampire spawn who are running a massive industrial people-jerky-making machine. And Mordecai very nearly paid the ultimate price. But he was approached by the voice on the brink of death. They're doing fine without me. They're really not. We don't have much more time. The voice convinced Mordecai that his friends were dying and that he had no other choice. And Mordecai accepts the lord of the mansion was enraged that they had broken his machinery and attacked them the crew fought their way to the ruin and dived in where they were greeted by another lost in the form of an old friend who offered them a way out at the kind of at the halfway point and i need to make sure you guys are really in you know what i mean so i mean we're here aren't we i don't think just, i know what you mean no let me just ask you one very pointed question so what's your deal? I was about to ask you the same thing. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna answer some questions for you guys, and I'm actually here to give you a way out if you want it. What? What? The here, like the vampire crazy man's house, or like I mean, sort of? I mean, I mean out, out. The crew forged on and solved the puzzle of the ruin, challenged again on who they are. You've reached the end yep. to tell me who you are. And then he says eight, the number eight. 
Well, my name is Billy, and this is my friends Carl, Nivitz, and Mordecai. And Hello. He Hi. shakes his head. He, he shakes his head. He says, Seven, those are your names. Tell me who you are. At the next console, Carl recorded the map to the next ruin, and they received the tomb's blessing. With their newfound power, the crew easily cut through Graham and his vampire spawn and headed back to the Hawk. But just before they arrived, they were intercepted by Maxwell himself of the shipbuilder Maxwell Industries, who shared some knowledge of the blue anti-essence with Carl and revealed he was looking for Max, the crew's warforged traveling companion. He offered them compensation for any additional research on the anti-essence, and finally, the crew set off from the dead planet Terra. After some deliberation, they determined their next stop would be the Vatican to confront Cardinal Jean-Paul. So where to, everybody? Uh, I don't know. I mean, should we follow the map? Should we, you know, like, deal with Jean-Paul? Like, what, what do we do? Where do we go? Hmm. Well, this map's going to take some time to decode. Uh, I'd like to get cracking on that, actually. Well, while you do that, we could go start some trouble. Yes, I'm very much for starting some trouble right now. I'd like to get back to those chaps at the Vatican for stealing my technology. But as they start to learn more about the Vatican and the various figures running to be elected as Pope, they soon realize things aren't quite what they seem to be, and a conspiracy has its grasp on some of the most powerful players across the galaxy. Zaldwin, as you breach the curtained area, um, and just as Nivitz is about to step through the uh, RGC detector, the lights go out. Everything, uh, everyone that does not have dark vision is in the dark right now. Uh, and Zaldwin... I do have dark vision. Just Grundle has dark vision. Nivitz has dark vision. Zaldwin, from your side of the curtain, you catch a glimpse of the Hobgoblin from the Sojourn, the Closer, standing in the audience. The curtain falls... Is that the person who was had the tattoo or is this like no, he's, no. he's oliver's dude that is some the, the person that you're approaching to sit next to is a completely separate person you see him standing okay. like off in the corner and then uh this curtain kind of falls and you would notice um uh, grundle and even zaldwin with your perception check and nivets also you would immediately notice that, like, Archbishop Gromlug is here, but there's no Grandmaster Pans, and there's no Cardinal Jean-Paul. Only Gromlug is in this room. After protecting the peaceful candidate, Archbishop Gromlug, from an attempted assassination by mercenaries dressed as Enders and another Closer clone, the crew is ordained as Inquisitors and search the Vatican for answers. They also enlist the help of one of Nivet's former colleagues to obtain a wand of clone detection, which they hope to use to see if anyone's been replaced. Well, you do know, uh, Nivets, you remember a uh, a man that you were in the Papal Knights with, old friend of yours. He is a also a wizard, and you know that he lives here on the Vatican, as far as you know, at least last time you spoke with him, he did. Uh, his name is Zephyr, and uh, he had previously been interested in and working on ways to detect clones. Oh my god! 
Oh my god. Nibbit? Yeah, it's me. You'll Come poop. here! Come here! And he runs up and tries to give you a hug. Nibbits will bear hug the dude. They then make their way to talk to Jane's uncle, Cardinal Jean-Paul, to get information about the corruption in the Vatican and gather information about Jaden's dad. Uh, Jean-Paul's study is massive. It is a huge room, beautiful windows uh, on the far side that look out over the blue skies and billowing clouds that are part of the uh, Vatican's atmosphere. There are floor-to-ceiling bookcases everywhere, uh, but like Nivets, you'd particularly notice like all the books are immaculate. You know what I mean? Like he's obviously never touched one of these books in his life. Well, hello there. Uh, nice to meet friends of Jaden and Inquisitors, I hear. Indeed. That's right. In meeting Jean-Paul, the crew pushes for some answers and finds some clues, including a matching blaster to the one that they got off Vanwell Moonshade's body. They pressed about the clones stalking around the Vatican, and Jean-Paul makes a run for it and begins shape-shifting. In the chaos of chasing Jean-Paul, Grundle accidentally kidnaps his intern, Tyler. He breaks into a dead sprint out the door, slams the door behind him. Friends, I think we should probably not let him run away. If he runs, I'm running. Okay. I mean, Heavy Arms is after him, and I... Well, I mean, if Oliver runs, I'm... I guess I'm running too. Yeah, and let's hope that I don't get to him first. Tyler is sitting at the desk and he's like, whoa, dude, what the fuck? What are you doing? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Who the fuck do you think? Jean Paul! Oh my God, I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Oh my God, useless and I run. You head towards the teleporters, uh, down the hall. You get to the end of the hall, you see the teleporter room, which as I've described before, it's a bunch of teleporters, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's like people. Tyler is in that room looking at his tablet. Tyler. I fucking. He looks up and he's like, hey, what's wrong? Fuck. I spin on my heels and I fucking charge back. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So you head back down the hallway. I grab Tyler. You grab this Tyler? Yeah. You're just like tucking him under your arm? You're coming with me. (laughs) Smart. Good move. Good move, Grundle. (laughs) After hopping through teleporters to locate the imposter, formerly known as Jean-Paul, the crew finds themselves on a massive version of Nivet's synthetic sun, filled to the brim with Nivet's clones. The crew quickly deduces that the unstable clones are being used as an energy source. Meanwhile, the rest of the crew on the Hawk receive a cryptic message to deliver the nuclear bomb that they retained from their ender fight on Prosperity Bay, to a random location. When they get to that random location, they find Oliver, Grundle, Zaldwin, and Nivets are fighting a swarm of Nivets, or Nivai, and are blasted with waves of light as the sun starts up. Both the OG crew and the convicts work together to clear the swarm, and Zaldwin undergoes a transformation as he grows wings. Also, and John Paul's like laughing maniacally at the other end. Let's all burn together. Uh, and you, over the edge of this bridge that you are on, the hawk pulls up. And out of the the bay door opens, and Earl and Billy, <laughs> and fucking Mr. Guy, and fucking Mordecai, you guys pile 
out of the hawk onto this bridge. What the fuck is up, ladies? Why are there so many fucking Nevitzes out there? There's like 30 Nevitzes. Oh, shit. Actually, let's count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine Nivitzes. Okay, maybe I exaggerated a little. After clearing the way, Oliver, Nivitz, Zeldwin, and Grundle chase Jean-Paul up to a cathedral of horrors deep within the artificial sun, when he turns into a bulking monstrosity. However, Oliver Heavy Arms is absolutely equipped to destroy the imposter Jean-Paul. And he looks up at you, Oliver, and sees, I mean, you're obviously ready to fight. Mm -hmm. You will be my redemption. Come, martyr me. I may fall. Some of you will fall with me. Come, end the great Cardinal Jean-Paul. Shut the fuck up! Right. Yeah, I'm going to take the mic and I'm going to say to the flock of Cardinal Jean-Paul, this is your prophet. And I'm going to just point, assuming that the fucking video boys will look at it and look at the disgusting mutated mass that's laying on the floor dead now. Yeah, I mean, the the body is now a changeling. It's this silver humanoid. This corrupt, depraved despot will torture no longer. And we'll kill no longer. And if you got a problem with that, you can come take it up with heavy arms, Oliver. And I'm just going to throw the mic on the ground. The crew then uses the nuke to blow up the artificial sun, then fall back and lick their wounds. They give Tyler a new job, strategize, and get our favorite bruiser, Oliver Heavy Arms, off the wake. They run into the mysterious Elise, who is under a series of spells by an unnamed goblin that we know to have been traveling with Jane's dad, John. I don't know. I I just have one more question for a dear friend. I don't mean to interrupt, but before you go, uh, John, is is he alive? He's alive. John's alive. And is he a nice person? She shakes her head and laughs a little bit and says, nice doesn't even begin to do it. John is the best person I know, and the only reason I'm still here. His son will be happy to hear that. Yeah, that kid could use some good news. I know it doesn't mean much now, but when I can, I will help. Well, we'll just do it then. Godspeed and good luck. Carl decodes the coordinates to the next location of the Lost Temple, one signature leading to the Goliath homeworld, and the other to a private planet. The crew chooses to go to the private planet, discovering that whatever the private planet is... It's surrounded by a giant dwarven puzzle box. The crew sleuth around and discover that the private planet is owned by an interplanetary tycoon named Thorum Ironkind, who has shut himself away in the spaceship known as Paradise. You have to be you have to be in like the top one percent to get on this thing, but you don't necessarily have to be like. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, it, this is the ship where people digitize themselves to float out in the afterlife uh afterlife to float out in the darkness supposedly infinitely uh they claim to have you know enough resources to keep the servers and the ship going for you know hundreds of millions of years without any touching once the like life dies on the ship the server should continue to run the crew finds out that thorum has been living in a simulation for years to escape the realities of his life with some sharp thinking by mr goy 
He is able to deduce the password to Thorum's private server, and the crew enters the simulation in order to get the solution for the giant puzzle cube. If you die in the simulation, you will respawn in the simulation. However, most physical bodies do not survive this transition. Do you understand rule one? Alright, rule two, you must designate a safe word. Using this safe word will make you forget that you're in a simulation and avoid any mental side effects or derangement. Some people find the concept of coming back to reality difficult. So, if you feel your grip on reality loosening, just say the word and enjoy your infinite paradise. Don't worry, if we can't charge your account for the credits needed, we'll make use of your old body or contact living relatives to cover the difference. If you start to experience any symptoms of derangement, a loosening grip on reality, you may say the safe word and it will make you forget that you're in a simulation. But if we forget that we're in a simulation, how do we remember that we're in a simulation? You will not remember that you're in a simulation. How do we get out then? You would not get out. So, as I said, if we say the safe word, we're permanent residents of the simulation? Absolutely. Alright. I suppose someone could forcefully take you to your entry point and kill you, but I do not recommend that. So is there a rule number three? Uh, yes. I do need to inform you that attempting to convince anyone that they are in a simulation may result in derangement and harm to your avatar. Great. Is there anything that we can do in the simulation that won't just scramble our fucking noggins? Sir? Yeah? You can do anything that you want in paradise. As many times as you want, for as long as you want, the world is yours. This place is way too horny for me. Alright, where's the helmet? Where's the pod that I got climbed into? Ugh. Oliver, Mr. Goy, Grundle, and Zeldwin enter the simulation and quickly discover that they have to dive into simulation after simulation, going through layers of reality until they hit an ancient fantasy world where they find that Thorum has broken himself into three different identities in order to separate himself from his ego and his greed. Yet, he failed. This proved to solve nothing, as both his stubbornness and his greed waged war on one another. The crew also finds themselves disoriented, as they were all assigned random wizard avatars in the simulation, and had to try and make sense of these new bodies. The crew organized with Thorm's greed in the form of a giant red dragon, and his innocence in the form of Grognar the Lazy, and storm the castle where his ego reigns with an iron fist. And this is not going to be like a mapped out encounter, guys. I want to hear about how you decimate this city. So the kobolds are going to show up in force as uh, the two that were with you had told you what you had fought was not that much compared to their full forces. There are uh, casters and there are forces, and there are a lot of those war machines that you guys were up against. And the dragon you can see very high up in the sky is kind of flying back and forth. And just as the sun starts to peak behind the mountains and it starts to get dark, the sky is lit with fire as these war machines just start spitting fire. I mean, you fought these things, they literally fire three they fire a fireball every two seconds. So, I mean, this is just... The sky is lit up with this fire raining down Hell on this yeah. city. In no time at all, you see moving through the streets are these huge legions of soldiers wielding great swords and pikes. There are a 
easily hundreds of these, uh, the, the bald men, barefoot, robed, mage-looking guys. Easily hundreds of them following them, too. And, I mean, this city just comes alive. And these armies just start to, like, head towards the gate. Yeah. What are you guys going to do? Um, first things first, strategically, um, as I can, from our vantage point, I would try and at, um, like, heavy arteries of those crowds of soldiers and men. I want to drop. I'm just going to come out swinging. Yeah, massive meteors fall from the sky. Meteors mash into the city at strategic locations where those armies of men are marching, and in 40-foot radiuses, that much damage (laughs) is dropped on them. Three separate meteors. Four. Or four. Four separate meteors. Uh, Yeah, just explode in the city streets um, where those barefoot men one hits where soldiers with pikes and swords are marching in order it smashes in the middle of their ranks yeah anywhere where i see organized military units moving um i want one of these meteors to smash down into them he yeah i I think i'm trying to kind of play through it in my head it would just be all negative as the dragon told you this is a shell this is only the parts left of himself that he refused to admit it's his paranoia it's his self-hatred it's his it's just those things how do we get to the cube how do we get into it come on you're asking the wrong questions what are the right questions if you don't know then i'm not gonna tell you stop looking at everything like you're in the driver's seat zoom the fuck out ask me the right question as alton asks he answers um and i'm just i just perk up my i know the question uh how do you know you exist he nods drops the goblet lets it clatter to the floor and he walks right up to you and leans in just leans in so 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 close so that only you and him can hear and he whispers something to you which i am going to in turn whisper to you okay Accepting defeat, Thorm's fragmented personalities now show Oliver the Puzzle Cube's secrets, and agrees to destroy themselves and start over, respawning in the simulation with the knowledge of how to prevent further fragmentation. Satisfied, the crew leaves the simulation, only to be deceived by the Closer, who has somehow intercepted them, tricking them into saying their safe word and locking them within their own memories. Tyler truly earns his place on the crew and shows his worth by diving in alone after being recruited by the digital Thorum to pull them all out. You see this Warforged attendant smile, which is odd because it shouldn't have a mouth. You see pointy teeth and then this illusion starts to fade And for a moment, you recognize it as the closer, the hobgoblin that you have encountered a few times, but only for a moment as your current perception of where you are fades away, everything seems normal, and you found the other person in the simulation. Tyler looks down at some device that he has in his hand and nods. All right, that was it. Okay. And he seemingly opens this door out of thin air, grabs your hand, and leads you through it. What's it? What? And you will find yourself 
back. These memories rush back to you. You remember saying your safe word and everything prior to it. And you're in a very familiar, cozy winter cabin. And Thorum is sitting on the couch, puffing at a pipe. Well, one out of four, that that took you long enough, I suppose. And Tyler's like, yeah, it's not. It's not easy. I did my best. And just like, all right. Well, let's get to it. I don't want to be here any longer than I have to. You all right? Is this what you look like? Bug? Thing? Fucking asshole? Thing? Where the fuck am I? Hey, fuck you. I just saved your goddamn hey, life. Fuck you. I don't even know if you're real. I mean, I'm not real, decidedly. And you're not right now either, but I don't want... We gotta, we gotta gather in here. I'll get you guys out of the simulation, and then, hey, we're even. We're even after that, okay? Afterwards, the crew is able to learn more about the Lost from Thorum, and he shares some of his insights. Mainly, that no matter how hard he tried, he was never able to access the ruins himself, and so he tore the ruins off of the Goliath homeworld and buried it deep inside the giant puzzle cube, along with innumerable other treasures from around the galaxy. Once inside the puzzle cube vault, the crew locates the lost ruin, enters, and is forced to fight a ghost-like echo of the previous crew who entered the ruin. They learn the unnamed goblin's name, Zoros, and Elise reveals her relationship to Oliver. All right, this uh, goblin who, while Father Cetel has raised his weapons and kind of cautiously stepped up to you, he has a symbol of the Ever and All host uh, that he's kind of palming in his other hand. Uh, but the goblin behind him has been kind of just like casually tossing these daggers who's kind of uninterested in everything that's going on. And then when Father Cetel gives him the go-ahead to fight, he grasps his daggers by their actual hilts and then seemingly apparates this book, this large black-bound book. It's almost as big as him because he is a goblin. And it starts to rotate around him. Uh, that's I, You guys can give me like an arcana or an insight check on that if you so desire. As a 20 from your good boy Zaldwin. That's 24 from Goy. Yeah. Um, Goy and uh, Zaldwin, you guys have seen, you all eight of you were in the room when Nivitz made that deal. Um, this thing, I think just for a split second, you swear you see it blink with these yellow eyes that you find familiar. And you're able to make that connection to the page that said it had been torn asunder by, quote unquote, him. Good luck with that. And I'm going to charge forward. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to full steam rush uh, the large, muscular woman ahead of me. And when I meet her at 80 mm-hmm. feet mm-hmm. at the end of my charge... Oops, wrong one. Um, I oh, uh, attempt to head... That's a 21. I have advantage when it's 1v1. Yep. Uh, I headbutt her. I jump up and headbutt her as hard as I can for 15 damage. That absolutely hits. She recoils and curses. You're a trick! Yeah, she recoils and she curses. She's like, is there nothing the Lost won't stoop to? I'm not lost! You're a trick! I'm gonna kill you! And that becomes Elisa's turn. What up, girl? And she wipes this, like, like this where you split her lip just now. She just wipes this little bit of blood off and spits, and then pulls around this Warhammer, going into a rage, and recklessly attacks you, and she says as she does it, 
This is too much. I can't believe they'd use my own brother against me. (gasps) After defeating the shadow of Jin's dad's crew, they are replaced with the shadow version of Zaldwin, Oliver, Goy, and Grundle to fight the next group of travelers who follow the path, and Oliver receives a mysterious blessing. The crew then makes their way further into the Lost Temples, where they find themselves in an office lobby. They queue in line, and the Lost Secretary, Margaret, shows them Volume 1 of a film about the nature of essence, anti-essence, and the path. Once back on the Hawk, the crew hears some terrible news. Carl, as you're having this discussion, a red light starts to blink. All right. Uh, There's an urgent message coming from the uh, console of the ship. Or Mordecai, whoever's there. Hey, uh, Carl, what's this red blinking light? Uh, I'm fucking... Coming message. Should I let it air? Uh, yeah, on screen. All right. Beep. And it pops up. You see it is uh, the Yonti reporter. You watched a cast with her previously in regards to the Pope. Uh, and this message just automatically plays. But this is Skilla with UNN News on an emergency broadcast. Denizens of the universe, I am tasked with the unfortunate responsibility of reporting on news I hoped to never share. The darkness has struck again. Ada, the largest sun that is known to exist, has gone dark. Dasaki, capital of the ancient alliance, its 22 moons optimized for food production, and its 44 billion residents are in darkness. I... And she tapers off, takes a deep breath, looks down at this paper. There's like just a blank look on her face. And you start to be able to tell there's like activity in this studio. And the camera gets bonked. Picture goes a little lopsided. And she just shrugs and looks back into the camera with dead eyes and says, May the ever and all host be merciful on us. This truly is the end.